What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the show, Fantasy Football U. This episode, we're going to be wrapping up week eight, talking about all the games that transpired over the weekend, talking beneficiaries and losers, talking about all the need-to-know information regarding fantasy players, and introducing a new segment called How Did We Get Here? There's so much information to get to, such little time. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's get it. Now, before we get right into the content, I do want to put out there our social media handles just so that you guys are aware that you guys can follow us and stay up to date with all the need to know information other than just the podcast. For Twitter, follow us at fantasyf underscore u. That's F A N T A S Y F underscore u. Follow our Instagram. At Fantasy Football Uni. That's F A N T A S Y F O O T B A L L underscore U N I. And also look us up on Facebook. There is a Facebook page for us, guys. It's in the group section. Look up Fantasy Football University. We're out there. Click that join button. I'll get you guys admitted immediately to get all your questions answered and be part of the fantasy football community. But without further ado, let's get right into it. What a wild set of outcomes that we had from Sunday's games in week eight. Lucky number eight wasn't so lucky for a lot of teams around the league. A lot of good teams. It was very beneficial for teams that aren't so great. Number one on the list, Miami Dolphins taking on the Los Angeles Rams. What a shocker. I mean, I know some people aren't as shocked as I am. And I knew that there was something kind of funky about this game. But the Miami Dolphins come out and absolutely owned the LA Rams. Jared Goff looked horrific in this one. He really, really did. Could not get anything going on offense. Was constantly under duress. Had a lot of incomplete passes. Jared Goff threw 61 passes in this one. Miami Dolphins went at 28-17. to They were really in control this whole game. Scored 21 points in the second quarter. And didn't allow the LA Rams to score again until the fourth quarter. So they went at 28-17. They advanced to 4-3. and LA Rams dropped to five and three for the Rams. Jared Goff, 35 of 61, 355, a touchdown and two interceptions. Daryl Henderson leaves this game with a thigh injury, only rushes for 47 yards. Cooper Cup, 11 receptions, 110 yards. Robert Woods, seven receptions, 85 yards, and a touchdown. And for the Dolphins, Tua, Tua time. Yes, it was Tua time. He didn't play so hot, but he was able to get the job done. 12 of 22, 93 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Miles Gaskin, 47 yards on the ground, a touchdown. And Miles Gaskin added in three receptions for 16 yards on the day. Now let's talk about another wild game that happened during the 1 o'clock window. The New England Patriots took on the Buffalo Bills. Patriots, again, dropped this one. This is their fourth straight loss. They weren't really in control this entire game. They were playing catch-up pretty much the whole game. It was kind of back and forth going into the fourth quarter, but the Bills prevail. They advanced to 6-2. and two. Patriots dropped to 2-5. and five. The Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, 11 of 18, 154 yards, one interception. Josh Allen also added in 23 yards on the ground and a touchdown run. Zach Moss with some touchdowns. Two touchdowns, 81 yards on the ground for him. Stephon Diggs, six receptions, 92 yards. And for the New England Patriots, Cam Newton, 15 of 25, 174 yards and a fumble. Damian Harris, 102 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Cam Newton also added in 54 yards on the ground and a touchdown. 
And Jacoby Myers, six receptions, 58 yards in a losing effort. Now let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Detroit Lions. This game got out of control in a hurry. Colts scored 20 points in the second quarter. They lead at the half 20-7. to And then they pop out for 21 more points in the fourth quarter to win it. 41 to 21. The Colts advanced to five and two. Lions dropped to three and four. And this bye week, the bye week that the Colts just came off of, really served them well coming into this one. They played very, very well. Their defense was lights out. Phillip Rivers was low key awesome in this game. He threw for three touchdowns, had 262 yards passing, 23 of 33. And the big number, Phillip Rivers, no interceptions on the afternoon. You have to love that if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan. Um, Wilkins, 89 yards and a touchdown. And Nike Himes, three receptions, 54 yards, and two touchdowns for the Colts. Moving over to the Lions, Matthew Stafford, 24 42, 336, three touchdowns and interception. Matthew Stafford added 10 yards in on the ground. The the Lions run game, I mean, was was terrible in this one. They got nothing going on the ground. They got less than 30 yards total on the ground. And TJ Hawkinson. Seven receptions, 64 yards in this one. Last but not least, Marvin Hall had a huge day for these guys. I don't even know who this cat really is, but he had four receptions, 113 yards for the Lions. Moving on over to another wild game in the 1 o'clock windows. The wild games just keep on coming for week eight's 1 o'clock window. The Tennessee Titans taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. I thought for sure this game would be an absolute blowout. There would be a lot of points scored, but it would be a blowout for the Titans. Titans would win. That was not even close to what happened here. In fact, the game script was like the total opposite. The Cincinnati Bengals led this one 17 to 7 at the half and score 14 points in the fourth quarter to win this one 31 to 20. The Tennessee Titans dropped to 5 and 2. Cincinnati Bengals move up to 2-5 and 1 for the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill did not have his greatest performances today, which I was pretty de- depressed about, to be honest. I expected bigger things from him going against Cincinnati. 18 of 30, 233, two touchdowns and interception. Derrick Henry did Derrick Henry things. 112 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Corey Davis, eight receptions, 128 yards and a touchdown. And A.J. Brown, four receptions, 24 yards and a touchdown. Moving on over to the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 26-37, 249, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Giovanni Bernard, 62 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Samaji P. Ryan, 32 yards on the ground, a touchdown. T. Higgins, six receptions, 78 yards. And Tyler Boyd, six receptions, 67 yards and a touchdown. Giovanni Bernard also added in three receptions, 16 yards and a touchdown for a great performance for him in the winning effort over the Titans. Moving on over to the Las Vegas Raiders, taking on the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland, this is the first game they're taking on a team without Odell Beckham Jr. in the last couple years. Thought it was going to be a totally interesting game, and it was. The Cleveland Browns struggled to score points. They only score six. They lose this game 16-6. to Vegas improves to 4-3, and and the Browns drop to 5-3. and Derek Carr, 15-24, 112 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Josh Jacob gets 31 rushing attempts on the day. 128 yards. Darren Waller adds in five receptions, 28 yards. Hunter Renfro, four receptions, 26 yards, and a touchdown. And for the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, 12 of 25. 122 yards, 
in no touchdowns, no interceptions. Kareem Hunt added in 66 yards on the ground. Jarvis Landry got targeted 11 times in this game, but only came up with four receptions for 52 yards. Now let's talk about another wild outcome, in my opinion, in the one o'clock windows, the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Green Bay Packers. For me, I thought Green Bay was going to smoke these guys. But the thing is, is with the Minnesota Vikings, is that the Vikings have in games played well at times throughout the duration of the year. However, there's been times where they've just completely fallen apart. And this was not one of those days. They played very much like they did when they played the Seattle Seahawks and just weren't able to come come away with the win. They actually came away with the win in this one, able to stop Aaron Rodgers on defense at the very end of the game. The Vikings win it 28-22. to The Vikings advance to 2-5. and Packers drop to 5-2. and For the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, 11 of 14, 160 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Dalvin Cook, 30 rush attempts, 163 yards, three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook also added in two receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown. Adam Thielen, three receptions, 27 yards. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, 27 of 41, 291, three touchdowns and no interceptions. Jamal Williams added in 75 yards on the ground. Robert Tanyan, five receptions, 79 yards. And Devontae Adams, seven receptions, 53 yards, three touchdowns. Jamal Williams also added in six receptions, 27 yards in the losing effort. Now it's time to take a look at the winless New York Jets, taking on arguably the best team in football, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, this one went as expected. This was not a mysterious somehow Jets win. Nope, Jets still winless. Jets drop to 0-8. Kansas City moves to 7-1. and Kansas City wins it 35-9. to and, and I'll be honest, though. You know, the first, the first couple quarters of this game, the Kansas City Chiefs at the half were only leading 21-9. to You actually thought for a second that the Jets were actually in the game. They really weren't. Kansas City turns it up, wins it 35-9. to Sam Darnold, 18 of 30, 133 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Frank Gore, 30 yards on the ground. And Darnell Mims, two receptions, 42 yards. Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, 31 of 42, 416 yards, five touchdowns, doesn't even play in the fourth quarter. Glad Edwards-Alaire, 21 yards on the ground. Le'Veon Bell, only seven yards on the ground in the revenge tour. Travis Kelsey, eight receptions, 109 yards, a touchdown. And Tyreek Hill, four receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. Now talking about the game of the week the Pittsburgh Steelers took on the Baltimore Ravens in the one o'clock window. It was a great game to watch. The Pittsburgh Steelers were able to outlast the Baltimore Ravens 28 to 24. Steelers still remain undefeated at 7 and 0 and the Baltimore Ravens dropped to 5 and 2. Steelers went at 28 24. Big Ben 21 of 32, 182 yards passing, two touchdowns. James Conner 47 yards on the ground, one touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, seven receptions, 67 yards. Eric Ebron, four receptions, 48 yards, a touchdown. And Chase Claypool, five receptions, 42 yards, and a touchdown. For the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 13 of 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. J.K. Dobbins had a great day on the ground for them, 113 yards. Gus Edwards, 87 yards on the ground, and a touchdown. Willie Sneed, 
added in five receptions, 106 yards. Now sliding on over to another wild finish. This one was actually in the 4, four o'clock window, though. Denver Broncos upset. I don't... Yeah, it's an upset, in my opinion. It really was. Upset the Los Angeles Chargers. reason why this was an upset is because the Chargers had this game in the absolute bag. Then Drew Locke throws like a 40-yard pass play at the very end of the game that gets called a pass interference in the back of the end zone. The ball gets put to the one-yard line. And then the Denver Broncos score with no time remaining to go up and win 31-30. to For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, 29 of 43, 278, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Justin Jackson, 89 yards on the ground. Mike Williams, five receptions, 99 yards, a touchdown. Keenan Allen, nine receptions, 67 yards, a touchdown. For the Broncos, Drew Locke, 26 of 41, 248, three touchdowns, one interception. Philip Lindsay, 83 yards on the ground, a touchdown. And Jerry Judy, four receptions, 73 yards. Another game that happened in the 4 o'clock window, New Orleans Saints taking on the Chicago Bears. This one needed overtime to decide a winner. New Orleans Saints come out on top 26-23. to Saints move up to 5-2. and two. The Bears drop another one, losing, going to 5-3. and three. For the Saints, Drew Brees, 31-41, 280, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Alvin Kamara, 67 yards on the ground. And Alvin Kamara, nine receptions, 96 yards through the air. Jared Cook, five receptions, 51 yards, a touchdown. Traquan Smith, five receptions, 43 yards. And Taysom Hill, two receptions, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Moving on over to the Bears, Nick Foles, 28 of 41, 272, two touchdowns, one interception. David Montgomery, not much room out there again, 21 rush attempts, 89 yards. Allen Robinson, six receptions, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Daryl Mooney, five receptions, 69 yards, one touchdown in this L. Next up, let's take a look at the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Seattle Seahawks. This game was kind of embarrassing, I'll be honest. I thought for sure that San Francisco would be in this game a heck of a lot more than they actually were. I was not happy. I really wasn't. I know Seattle is very, very good. I just thought that San Francisco would at least hold their own against these guys after displaying a quite fathomable uh, game against the New England Patriots last week and imposing their will on them, I thought for sure that they'd at least have a solid day against the Seattle defense. San Francisco never really in this one. They lose this 37-27, to and Jimmy G leaves the game in this one. He, had, he goes 11 of 16, 84 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Nick Mullins comes in, takes his place, Looks a heck of a lot better. Gives the offense some life. Might have been because of the game script or whatever. But Nick Mullins, 18-25, 238, two touchdowns. Michael Hasty, 29 yards on the ground, one touchdown. Brandon Ayuk, eight receptions, 91 yards, a touchdown. And for the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, 27-37, 261, four touchdowns, no interceptions. DJ Dallas, 41 yards on the ground, a touchdown. DK Metcalf, heck of a day for him. 12 receptions, 161 yards, two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett falls off this week, four receptions, 33 yards. And David Moore, three receptions, 18 yards, a touchdown. Now let's take a look at the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Philadelphia Eagles in Sunday night football. This game was really tough to watch. It was somewhat entertaining because of the game game plan that they had, just kind of throwing everything out the window and seeing what works and what doesn't work. 
Cowboys lose it again, nine to twenty-three. Eagles advance to three, four, and one. Cowboys drop to two and six. Uh, ben DiNucci, 21 of 40, 180 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. I'm extremely surprised he didn't throw an interception given how many times he just threw the ball up there. The Philadelphia Eagles defenders have absolute stone hands and could not catch one to save their life. Zeke Elliott, 63 yards on the ground, not much cooking there for him. Michael Gallup, best wide receiver in this one for the Cowboys, seven receptions, 61 yards. For the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz, 15 of 27, 123 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Boston Scott, 70 yards on the ground for him. Travis Fulgham, six receptions, 78 yards, a touchdown. Jalen Rager coming back from injury, three receptions, 16 yards, a touchdown for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now let's slide on over to the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Carolina Panthers in Thursday night football. Weather was crazy in this one. The ball was going all over the joint, but... Atlanta Falcons able to edge out the Carolina Panthers 25-17. Falcons move to 2-6. Panthers drop to 3-5. Matt Ryan, 21 of 30, 281, zero touchdowns, one interception. Todd Gurley, 46 yards on the ground, one touchdown. Matt Ryan showing off the legs despite how old he is, 27 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Julio Jones with the injury to Calvin Ridley, had himself a day, seven receptions, 137 yards. And for the Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater, 15 of 23, 176 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Teddy Bridgewater did get hurt in this one, but was able to come back and participate in the game. Mike Davis, this might be the end for Mike Davis. 13 rush attempts, 66 yards. Uh, DJ Moore, two receptions, 55 yards. And Robbie Anderson, five receptions, 48 yards. Now I want to get into our graded segment for the week. Those of you new to the podcast, this is how the graded segment works. A grades, exceeded expectations. B grades, bounce back games. C grades, consistent players. And D grades, disappointing games. First up on the list, A grades, exceeded expectations games. For quarterbacks, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers was QB5 on the day against the Detroit Lions. 22.2 points, 23 of 33, 262, three touchdowns. Phil Rivers is just never fantasy relevant. And for what he's doing right now, I think it definitely exceeded expectations. Phil Rivers always hovers around the 1920 quarterback line, but he is playing very, very well for the Indianapolis Colts. And the most important stat line of the afternoon is that he threw zero interceptions and he hasn't thrown interceptions the last couple games. So kudos to Phillip Rivers. Running backs, DJ Dallas taking on San Francisco. Chris Carson was a 50-50 chance playing in this game. He does not. DJ Dallas gets the start. Fifth round rookie on the year against what would presumably be a pretty solid San Francisco 49er defense. Well, that defense wasn't so hot. In this one, DJ Dallas finishes the day as RB3 with 22.8 points, 41 rushing yards, a touchdown, five receptions, 17 yards, and an additional touchdown. Curtis Samuel taking on Atlanta in Thursday Night Football. Curtis Samuel was arguably one of the best-looking players on the field, especially for Carolina in this one. He was running the ball. He was blocking. He was receiving, scoring touchdowns both in the running game and in the passing game. Curtis Samuel 
finishes the afternoon or the week rather. Wide receiver 10 with 21.4 points, four receptions, 31 yards, a touchdown, three rushes, 23 yards, and a touchdown. He played much better than DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in this one. At tight end, Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Eric Ebron, you just never know what you're going to get from him. He showed up in this one, got 14.8 fantasy points, turns out to be tight end three on the weekend, four receptions, 48 yards, and the touchdown. You just weren't expecting him to score. And anytime you get this sort of production out of Eric Ebron, you're happy, but he's not a consistent starter in fantasy. Moving on over to B grades. These are bounce back players, players that had had bad afternoons the week before. They might be consistently playing bad and had a positive output for the afternoon. For quarterback, we had Drew Locke. Drew Locke finished his QB7 during week eight. Week seven. Had 12.9 points, and week six had 3.4 points. This week in week eight, 19.8. He had zero touchdowns in the last two weeks and four interceptions. This week, he threw three touchdowns and one interception and got the win in the final seconds against the Los Angeles Chargers. For running back, Zach Moss. Zach Moss finishes his RB7 on the weekend. Week 7, only 10.2 points. Week 6, 1 point. And then week 8, 20.1 points. Scores first two touchdowns of the season in this win against the New England Patriots. For wide receiver, Mike Williams. Mike Williams, I thought, was going to have a really, really productive week last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunately, only has 1.4 fantasy points on the afternoon. This week in week eight, he finishes his wide receiver 11 for the afternoon with 21 fantasy points, finishes the afternoon with five receptions, 99 yards, and a miraculous one-handed touchdown. For tight end, Robert Tanyan against Minnesota. Robert Tanyan the last couple weeks has been playing down. Week seven, 5.2 points. Week six, 5.5 points. This week, he kind of reemerges as a solid tight end for the Green Bay Packers with five receptions, 79 yards, making him tight end five on the afternoon with 12.9 points. Moving over to C grades. These are our consistent players. Again, as always, these are our most important players, so pay attention and listen up. For quarterback, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert finishes the afternoon as QB6 with 21.2 fantasy points. He's averaging right around 25 fantasy points per game since he's become the starter for LA through three touchdowns with two interceptions. So this is roughly right around Justin Herbert's production for fantasy quarterback. Running back Giovanni Bernard finishes the afternoon as RB three against the Tennessee Titans with 22.8 points. He's done a great job at filling in for Joe Mixon while Joe Mixon's been out in week seven, he had 20.6 fantasy points. So for the last couple of weeks, you can really count on Giovanni Bernard playing very, very well, filling in for Joe Mixon. At wide receiver, Tyreek Hill against the New York Jets. Yes, you would anticipate him having a good game, and he did. He finishes the afternoon at wide receiver five with 25.8 points. He had four receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. I think this is important because he only had four receptions. So on 50% of the, his, uh, his receptions, he had touchdowns on. He's only had one game this year under 16.4 fantasy points. 
So it's been a heck of a season for Tyreek Hill. Last but not least, TJ Hawkinson taking on Indianapolis. TJ Hawkinson finishes the afternoon tight end number four with 13.5 fantasy points, received a season-high 10 targets in this one, and he continues to get right around the 10 fantasy point mark for the Detroit Lions. You have to like some consistency at that tight end position because you don't get that very often with the tight ends. Last but not least, degraded players. We have Juana Smith at tight end. Juana Smith, I thought, was going to have a really good game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Everything had lined up for him to have a solid game. They had just let up a bunch of points, two tight ends against the Cleveland Browns. That did not happen. Not even close. He finishes the afternoon tight end 22, only 4.9 fantasy points. The last several weeks, in week seven, he had 1.3 fantasy points. And in week seven, uh, week six, 2.3 fantasy points. It might be time to bail on Juano Smith moving forward. For wide receiver, Deontay Johnson. It's expecting a big day from Deontay Johnson. Not like last week. He had 15 targets last week, but at least a productive game. I mean, I started him. I, I trusted to start him in fantasy leagues, and he completely disappointed. One reception. 1.6 points, week seven, 15 targets, 25 points, two touchdowns. Where was Deontay Johnson in this game? For running back, Le'Veon Bell against the New York Jets. Been telling people all week long, oh, Le'Veon Bell, revenge tour. He's going to get a lot of reps, and you know the, the Kansas City Chiefs would be up big, and he'd stay in there, and he'd get a lot of workload, blah, 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 blah. I bought into it. I did. I like the storyline. The reality is, is it didn't play out as planned. Le'Veon Bell only gets six rushing attempts in this one, gets seven total yards, 1.2 yards per carry, three receptions, 31 yards, finishing the afternoon at running back 35 with 6.8 fantasy points. Not a productive week in the revenge tour. Last but not least, Carson Wentz at the QB position, taking on Dallas on Sunday Night Football. Thought for sure Carson Wentz would play lights out. He had been playing lights out the last couple weeks. Week two, uh, the two weeks prior, 27 and 29 fantasy points. This week, finishes as QB 23 with 8.6 points. Only 15 completions out of 21 pass attempts. 123 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions for Carson Wentz. You just expected bigger and better things. An opportunity for Carson Wentz to continue to showcase why he should be the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward. Yes, they got the win, but it wasn't from Carson Wentz in this one. Now let's move over to our patience or panic segment. Those of you new to the podcast, this segment is very, very simple. I say a name and I decide whether or not to be patient with them or to panic. Usually they're these guys are having some down weeks and we're trying to figure it out whether or not we need to keep them on our rosters or we're looking to sell very quickly. Number one on our list or quarterbacks, no correction, tight ends. Juana Smith took on Cincinnati this week. Um, yeah, I'm saying panic. Since week six, he hasn't gotten more than four targets. Before week six, his lowest targets per, per game were five. Why is that? 
Well, A.J. Brown came back from injury. Corey Davis had been reactivated from COVID. Corey Davis is balling out. A.J. Brown is balling out. So there really is no need for Juwano Smith. I'm saying panic on Juwano Smith, and you have to, have to, have to look at not starting him every single week at this point moving forward. Wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. I'm panicking on Henry Ruggs. He took on Cleveland Browns this week. He was wide receiver 71 with 2.9 fantasy points, two receptions, and nine yards. In five games that he's played, he's only had one game so far with over 10 fantasy points. Now, I know everybody's looking for like the next Justin Jefferson out there, and I was too. I had Henry Ruggs. I drafted Henry Ruggs. I also drafted Justin Jefferson, but the time has come to drop Henry Ruggs. Clearly, there's other options there for the Las Vegas Raiders that Henry Ruggs just right now isn't rosterable. I mean, unless you're in really, really deep league or a dynasty league or something like that, he's just not rosterable. In fact, I dropped him last week to pick up somebody else off waivers. Mike Davis. It's the end of Mike Davis. It is. We're panicking. Got to unload him. It's time. His time's up. RB29 on the week. 8.7 fantasy points. To be quite honest, last several weeks, Mike Davis really hasn't been the same caliber of player as the first six weeks of the season. You can honestly argue with me if you don't believe so, but there's just something about it that the Carolina Panthers just are not using him the same exact way that they had been using him the first several weeks of the season. It could be fatigue. It could be injury that we don't know about. It could be something. It could be something that they're not talking about, but Mike Davis clearly is a different player at this time. Mike Davis, 13 rush attempts, 66 yards, one reception, 11 yards. And I think that that one reception, that lone reception against an Atlanta Falcons team that is susceptible to the fast. And I know that the weather conditions weren't all that great, but you would have figured that out of all the days that this would have been the perfect day for them to dump it down to Mike Davis over the middle and just let him work. Nope, one reception, 11 yards for the afternoon. you got to unload and panic on Mike Davis. Speaking of another Carolina Panther, Teddy Bridgewater. QB 20 on the afternoon with 12 fantasy points. In the last two out of three weeks, he's been under 13 fantasy points. In the last three weeks, he's thrown three touchdowns and three interceptions. I'm panicking with him because his ceiling is only so high. His rushing is not the same rushing ability as like somebody like Lamar Jackson, who we'll get to in a minute. It's not. It's not even close. His highest touchdown production in a game so far this year is two. He hasn't thrown more than two touchdowns in a game. He's eclipsed 20 points only twice on the season so far. I'm not rostering or playing Teddy Bridgewater at this time. Moving on over to be bold and hold or sell them while they're hot. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, he's number one on our list. Lamar Jackson this week in week eight was QB 16, 14.8 fantasy points. Now, I'll be honest, he did not look hot. 13 of 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. A pick six. Now, before I move forward, I'm going to say we're going to hold with Lamar Jackson with caution. Now, most people would be like, oh, Jake, well, 
Lamar freaking Jackson. Of course I'm holding on to him. I'm not looking to sell him. But you know what? There are plenty of other serviceable quarterbacks out there that you might be able to get off waivers that are pretty much doing the same thing as Lamar Jackson as far as points per game. And you might be able to flip around if you need, you know, a tight end and or a um you know, wide receiver or something like that, you know, where you can sell a kind of weaker wide receiver with Lamar Jackson and selling him based upon his name and collect somebody of a lesser caliber, you know, quote unquote, at quarterback and make up the production at a wide receiver or tight end, whatever you need. But Lamar Jackson, two rushing touchdowns on the year. We talk about Lamar Jackson's rushing ability quite a bit, but he's only got two touchdowns on the year. Bet you didn't know that. But you also didn't know that he's only got four passing touchdowns on the year. Six total touchdowns on the year for Lamar Jackson. You, you got to be concerned about that. Especially when you're drafting him as high as he did, you have to be concerned about that in this Baltimore passing offense. Their running offense is fine. It looks great. Lamar Jackson included of that rushing attack looks great. But the passing, 13 of 28. Not great. Not great at all. The only thing you can say about Lamar Jackson is lowest output so far in the season is 13.5 points. But that's not where you drafted Lamar Jackson at, is to only have 13 and a half points. And it's in it's not even from passing the ball. It's just from running the ball, you know? And I think back to last year when Lamar Jackson talked about, you know, not bad for a quarter, uh, not bad for a running back. And reality is this year is, is basically what he is. That's like all he is at this point is a running back. Be bold. Hold with caution with Lamar Jackson or sell him if you can. Moving on over to the running back, Damian Harris. Damian Harris is, as of late, has come on for the New England Patriots, finishes the afternoon in week eight as RB11. 16 rush attempts, 102 yards, and a touchdown, giving him 16.2 fantasy points. I'm saying sell on Damian Harris, and here's why. His highest rush attempts on the year so far was this week in week eight. And people would be like, oh, that's great. That that's that means he's going to do this every week. They're going to keep giving him the ball more. Wrong. It's not the New England Patriots way. Next week, it'll be James White rushing the ball and Rex Burkhead rushing the ball. Or Damian Harris may not even be involved next week. It'll be all passing. And this is another one of my concerns. Passing. New England Patriots have been playing from behind a lot this year. A lot. Damian Harris is not is is literally not involved in the passing game, and rightfully so. They have James James White, Rex Burkhead, that can definitely be serviceable in the passing game much more effectively than Damian Harris. But as far as fantasy is concerned, you don't like to see that when a player is not involved at all during the passing games, especially if it's PPR. And if you're a Damian Harris owner, you've got to know that. Two out of the four weeks that he's been he's been uh, starting, it's been under 10 fantasy points. Not productive. 16.1 has been his highest output so far this season. Wide receiver, Corey Davis. Now we talked about him briefly, but wide receiver four on the weekend, 26.8 fantasy points. I, you got to hold on Corey Davis. And if you don't have him, you better go out there and get him. If he's sitting on someone's waiver wire, you have to go out there and get Corey Davis this week. Corey Davis, in all five games that he's played, he's had over 10 fantasy points. Last two weeks, he's had 10-plus targets. You got to love that. 
and three out of the five games that he's played so far, he's got a touchdown. A.J. Brown is going to start seeing a lot more double teams. This is like the third or four week, fourth week in a row where A.J. Brown has been balling out. He's going to start seeing number one coverage all over the field. And what does that mean? Corey Davis is going to run free. You got to go out there and roster Corey Davis. And if you have him, like I do, and I picked him up off waivers last week, I'm holding on to him. He's going to be a nice deep threat in your league with buys and injuries that are still to come. Last but not least, Jared Cook. Jared Cook, tight end number two on the weekend with 16.1 fantasy points, five receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. You got to hold with Jared Cook, and you got to hold him with caution. Normally, I'd tell you to go out there and sell him while he's hot for the simple fact that there's definitely better players to be had out there. But my concern with this is that the tight end position is so thin right now that you might not be able to get much out there for Jared Cook. But you also have to understand this. In four out of the six, we- four out of the six weeks that he's played, He's had over 10 fantasy points, which is good. The downside is is that four out of those same exact weeks, he had a touchdown in every single one of them. Now, his highest point production so far in the season has been 16 points, and this was this this week. So what does that tell you? I'll tell you this. With one of the games without the touchdown, he had 4.1 points. He is super, super touchdown dependent to have him break over that 10-point mark. And although it's been there, it may not continue when Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders get back, whenever that is. So, again, I say hold, but be cautious with with Jared Cook because once these kids return, I don't think that Jared Cook becomes valuable at all. Now it's time to take a look at some of the beneficiaries and some of the losers of week eight. I'll tell you right now, there was definitely a lot more losers than there were beneficiaries. So let's get right into it. Number one for beneficiaries, the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills were able to hold off New England in a late surge by New England, but they fumbled the ball to lose the game. That might have been their season right there. I'll tell you that for sure. New England drops their fourth straight game, which hasn't happened in my lifetime. And the Buffalo Bills have created a lot more separation in the AFC East with that win. Finally puts New England kind of out of the playoff picture at this point, or at least winning the division for that matter. So you got to feel good if you're the Buffalo Bills moving forward. Next up, Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis coming off the bye week, really satisfied with their win, and another Tennessee Titans loss. This is a second game in a row that Tennessee Titans have dropped. You got to like that if you're Indianapolis, now being tied at the top of the division with the Tennessee Titans. Last but not least, big-time winner, New Orleans Saints. They win again without Michael Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. It was a huge win. It really, really was. If you told me at the end of eight weeks without Michael Thomas since week one that the New Orleans Saints would be 5-2 and two, and their second top, second top option for wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, would also be out and they'd still be winning ball games, 
I would I wouldn't believe it. I would not believe it. And here they are at the top of the NFC South at five and two. Unreal. Unreal. They don't even got their best players on the field yet. And and they're five and two. You gotta like that for New Orleans. But the biggest winner, in my opinion, of week eight has to go to the Miami Dolphins. Yes, the Miami Dolphins. So not only did the win for the Buffalo Bills help the Dolphins in terms of kind of putting the Patriots behind them, but also the Miami Dolphins benefited this week by taking care of business against the Rams. There was a lot of things that went into this game against the Rams. They were looking at Tua making his first NFL debut. They were looking at the LA Rams coming in at 5-2. and two. They were looking at this as not a must win, but a, a huge opportunity for them to to play well and inch them closer towards a potential playoff spot in the future for the playoffs. And they completely exceeded expectation. They imposed their will on defense, defense against the Los Angeles Rams and made Jared Goff look silly. They had him fooled all day long, all day long. They were, he, Jared Goff was under pressure and could not handle it at all. It was amazing to see that the Miami Dolphins were able to do that much on defense. And Tua, Tua didn't even have a good game, right? It, it, there was so much talk about why Tua was coming in, including myself, why Tua was coming in, playing the LA Rams, and how difficult of a matchup that was going to be for him to start and make his NFL debut. But it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter if him or Ryan Fitzpatrick were at quarterback because they manhandled the L.A. Rams on defense. Tua threw for less than 100 yards, and he didn't have to. He had one touchdown pass in the game and didn't have to. Best thing about Tua is that he didn't lose them the game. Their defense won them the game for sure. Got to like that if you're a Miami Dolphins fan. Moving on over to the biggest losers of the week. Number one, Chicago Bears lose again. Second week in a row, fall to five and three. And as I turned on the TV this morning, lo and behold, they're talking about quarterback issues in Chicago. Is it Trubisky? Is it Nick Foles? The reality is that it's neither. It's the play calling. It's super stagnant. They don't do anything with it. They're, the offensive line doesn't make any running holes. So then when they throw the ball, it's throw the ball to Allen Robinson and he's double covered or has the best corner on him. And, you know, they struggle. They struggle to move the ball and they're just lucky that their defense is as good as they are, that they stay in games. Nick Foles doesn't do anything to necessarily win or lose the job. But when Mitch Trubisky was in there, he didn't do anything to keep it either. So, with that being said, that will continue to, to speculate and be a concern for the Chicago Bears moving forward until they can show that they can rally and win some games. Next up, Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers, oh, God, 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 God. They're one of the teams I hate the most in the league because they should not be as bad as they are. They shouldn't be. I don't actually hate them. I think that they're a solid team. They're in every game that they play, and that's the problem. They're in every game that they play, but they somehow lose. Lose. Every single game. 
I mean, this one against the Denver Broncos, they, they let up a game-winning touchdown with one second left to go in the game. Had it and then just gave it away. You hate to see it. And from my, my own speculation, I have a question. Is Anthony Lynn the reason why they're in one-possession games or the reason why they lose one-possession games? I don't know. I look forward to seeing what players and the offseason brings for the Los Angeles Chargers, but I would like to see if Anthony Lynn's the maker of that team that's in every game or he's the breaker and makes them lose those very, very close games. Last but not least, the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore had a chance to make a statement against the Pittsburgh Steelers, specifically Lamar Jackson did, was not able to do it. He failed. He failed miserably. 13 pass completions on the afternoon. Throws a pick six to start the game. I mean, what? He just wasn't good. Just was not good. Now there's going to be continuous speculation about the Baltimore passing offense and how it hasn't looked good all season. Lamar Jackson thrown five, uh, four touchdown passes on the year so far. Four. Their running game is unbelievable. But eventually, you're going to have to pass the ball. And when they needed to most against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were unable to do so. I think personally, just personal speculation, Des Bryant gets activated from the practice squad faster than we think. Because this passing offense just is not good. Not good. And it's you know what? It's not even like they don't have the weapons. Like Marquise Brown is there. And the poor kid doesn't, doesn't see the light of day. So there is continued speculation in Baltimore. But the biggest loser of the week, got to go with the 49ers. Not only did they lose an interdivision game to the Seattle Seahawks and get ramped in that game, they lost Jimmy G. Jimmy G is going to be sidelined for several weeks. And they lose George Kittle, who some reports say he's going to be out eight weeks which is basically literally the end of the season. I mean, they'll just hang up shop and that'll be the end of the season. But some reports also say that he might be out as less than a month. But regardless, losing both your quarterback and your number one passing option is huge. Absolutely huge. In a division where you're you're behind the eight ball, but you're still very much in the playoff hunt. Not with... Both your top players going down and losing this week to fall to 4-4. Four and four. It's unfortunate for the San Francisco 49ers that the injury bug just continues to plague them this season. Time to introduce a new segment. It's called How We Got Here. The concept is simple. I'm going to be talking about some guys that had fantastic fantasy weeks and how they got there. We're going to be breaking down some of the stats from the games. We're going to be talking about whether or not the production is going to continue. Very simple. Number one. Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, as we all know, had four touchdowns this week against the Green Bay Packers. Dalvin Cook is a very good player. Dalvin Cook is arguably the best running back in the league. But will four touchdowns continue week after week after week? Absolutely not. I will tell you that he ran the ball 30 times. And he averaged 5.4 yards per carry, which is very good. So you're going to continue to feed the ball. That's what the Minnesota Vikings do is they give him the ball. Makes sense. 
but his touchdowns, his touchdown production, he had a 21-yard rushing touchdown. Okay, fine. He's he's always due for one of those, basically a game. He got a one-yard rushing touchdown, another one-yard rushing touchdown, and a 50-yard receiving touchdown. Well, I'll tell you right now, those two one-yard touchdown runs that he had, yeah, those were all pass interference calls in the end zone. Ball gets placed at the one-yard line. Very next play, Dalvin Cook runs it in. Looks like a superstar. Reality is, is that he's just a beneficiary of a pass interference call that's in the end zone. And we'll, we'll get to that, the whole pass interference thing later. But he's going to continue to steal these sort of garbage time touchdowns, in a sense, when the ball gets placed at the one-yard line. So you can absolutely bank on that basically every week, one of those every week. But to have four touchdowns in a game, it's not going to continue for Dalvin Cook. Devontae Adams. Wide receiver one on the afternoon. Devontae Adams. This is this is a stat line. Seven receptions, 58 yards, and three touchdowns. Huh. How did Devontae Adams have three touchdowns on the day? Good question. Well, one, Aaron Jones wasn't there. So Aaron Jones not being there is is one thing because at least two out of these three touchdowns get stolen by Aaron Jones, no questions asked. But because Jamal Williams was in there, Aaron Rodgers takes it upon himself to throw three touchdowns to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams had touchdowns of five yards, one yard, and seven yards on the day. I'm also going to point out that out of the seven total touchdowns Devontae Adams on, has on the year, five of them. Five, five out of the seven have come against the Minnesota Vikings. Do not continuously expect Devontae Adams to have three touchdowns on the day every week. DJ Dallas. DJ Dallas, 22.8 fantasy points. RB number three on the afternoon. Many people are like, well, DJ Dallas, is he legit? Is he legit? Is he going to steal Chris Carson's snap? No, he's not going to do any of that. Here's why. Here's why he looks so good, but reality is that he was just meh. He had two touchdowns on the afternoon. He had a two-yard touchdown reception on a quick little out route. Then he had a one-yard touchdown run. Again, the beneficiary of a pass interference call that got the ball to the one-yard line. DJ Dallas is... No more rosterable in any league after Chris Carson comes back. It's no longer. Don't need to have him. He might have some carries and stuff, but he's not getting any touchdowns. Nahi Himes, RB5 on the afternoon. Well, how did he become RB5? I'll tell you why. He had two touchdowns in this game. Receiving touchdowns to boot. Well, he only had three receptions on the afternoon. Two of them went the distance for touchdowns. Do not expect Naheem Hines to continue that sort of production off three receptions in a game. You can't expect it at all. Heck, next week he'll catch three receptions and have no touchdowns, let alone two like this week. So don't expect that sort of trend to continue for Naheem Hines. Last but not least, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, wide receiver 5 on the afternoon, 25.8 points. Like I've already previously mentioned, he had 4 receptions on the day. 
four. Two of them went for touchdowns. One of them was a 41-yard touchdown reception. That was half the amount of yards that he had on the day. Came off that one pass, that one reception. Unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're a Tyreek Hill owner, is that that trend will continue moving forward. Tyreek Hill is a burner. He might have three, four, five receptions in the day, but one of them is going to be a bomb, and one of them is going for six. So you can expect that sort of production to continue for Tyreek Hill. Finally, to wrap up this episode, let's have another rant with Jay. This has been pissing me off for all of football. Before, pass interference calls used to be a 15-yard penalty. Now, there was a, a long period of time where, where pass interference calls would go the distance of wherever the pass interference occurred. Then they changed it to the 15-yard penalty, an automatic first down. Then they changed it back to the spot foul. Well, it, it literally makes and breaks games. Right, it literally does. If you're anything, any any sort of good at it, like Tom Brady is, you get several of those a game. I mean, most offenses nowadays get get plenty of those every single game. Teams march up and down the field, and people wonder why there's so many points scored in a lot of these football games. They're the beneficiaries of a lot of pass interference calls. Right, we're talking. I mean, the slightest of things. DBs can't even put their hands on the receiver at this point anymore without getting flagged for pass interference. Oftentimes I even see wide receivers complain to the referees and a late flag will come in from left field that had no business even throwing a flag. No business even throwing a flag. They flag them, they look at the replay, and we get, oh yeah, I guess that's pass interference. It's like, we need replay to see that, dude. The odds of it actually happening in real time is very, very slim. Right, The receiver needs to fall down, or the receiver needs to clearly be yanked. The jersey needs to be pulled, or uh, a, a receiver needs to be hooked. Something like that. But putting your hands on someone's hips, or, I don't know, jarring for the ball before the ball comes to the wide receiver, I mean, these things are just get so tic-tac-y, and they cost teams the game. Well, Sunday, this is, this is why I bring it up. Sunday... The Los Angeles Chargers lose the game due to a Hail Mary, basically, by Drew Locke to the back of the end zone and what they deemed was clear pass interference. And the reason why they called it clear pass interference was because he didn't turn around and look for the ball. <laughs> he was playing the man straight up in his chest and gets hit in the back in the back with the ball and gets called for pass interference because he did not turn around and look for the ball. Over and over and over again, we see this happen. So what happens there? One second left to go in the game. The Denver Broncos, instead of being on like the 40-yard line, 30 or 40-yard line, they're now on the one. And Drew Locke throws a touchdown pass that wins in the game. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. When I was watching the Pittsburgh Steelers game, I was absolutely blown away when there was a no flag on the last play of the game. Thought for sure there were there was going to be one. There was a hard hit, hard collision in the end zone. No, as no time expired, thought for sure there would be a flag on the play that gave the Baltimore Ravens an untimed down from the one yard line. Thought for sure it was going to be. 
Luckily enough, there wasn't. And the refs did not decide the game with that call. But they did against the Chargers. They did. Chargers lose another one. My problem is, is that they really, really need to address this pass interference crap. Right? I was listening to Sunday Night Football, and they were talking about if quarterbacks were any good in the NFL nowadays, they give so much benefit to the offensive player that you'd have 10 to 15 play calls each and every single game designed to short throw the receiver and have them just lunge back into the defender and get the pass interference call every single time. And that is exactly the truth because the way that the, the rule is structured now is that any time that the defender is not looking at the ball and the receiver initiates contact to drive through the defender to receive the ball in any capacity, it warrants a flag every single time. And you see it every single time. Anybody that plays a wide receiver position at this time knows if that ball is underthrown, all they have to do is just jump back into the receiver and a flag is going to happen. It's much like a basketball player in the NBA ball faking. And when he gets that offender to jump, he jumps into him and draws the foul. But there's times at least in the NBA where that foul is, is doesn't happen. You know, a good 80% of the time it happens, but there's that 20% of the time that it doesn't happen. And I don't feel like that happens enough in the NFL. The ball is clearly underthrown. The receiver really has no chance at getting it. And all they do is jump back into the, into the defender and attempt to make a play on it. And there's a foul. It shouldn't happen like that. Right? We, we watch these teams go up and down the field just on penalties, penalties, penalties. You know, before, when I first started watching football, you know, and the defenders would get called for a pass interference or something like that, and it cost them a lot of yards, like, it was big. But now you just see the defenders just shake it off like it's nothing because it happens every single game. Every single game they're being penalized for pass interference calls. It's just another, another flag. You know, and everybody wonders, oh, why are there so many teams that have so many flags on the year and so many penalty yards? It's because of the pass interference calls. Every single year it's been like this. Right? I get it. Part of me says that it's great for the NFL because there's a lot more scoring that happens. But at the same time, too, it's almost like the defenders can't even play. And oftentimes it costs teams the game at the very end of the game when you throw a flag like that because of the way that the, the rule is orchestrated and called throughout the duration of a game. It bothers me. It's bothered me in several years past. Even when I don't have a chip in the game, and it's not even my team that I'm rooting for, it's the fact that a play, a, a game is now decided based upon one pass interference call. All game long, it's fine, but it's no different than deciding a game in the NBA with a foul at the very end of the game. You're going to let the foul at the end of the game dictate how the game is decided. Doesn't sit well with me. And it happened again with the Los Angeles Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. And it's a wrap. That is going to do it for this episode of Fantasy Football U. I'm so happy y'all stuck with me through the entire duration of the episode. We'll be back at it again first thing on Friday morning to break down even more exclusive content to get you guys ready for all of Week 9 games. I'm so excited that y'all stuck with me. I appreciate y'all very much. Until next time, be safe.
Be easy. Peace.